0: Hello and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. Thank you so much for being with us again this week. It's another Friday night in the big town and we have radar in the background. Just keeping a watch on the weather. It's that time of year. Budget discussions are happening. Tornadoes are happening. It's springtime in Oklahoma. Joining me this week, as usual, is my co-host and friend, Scott Melson. Hello, sir. What is up, my dude? (laughs) No. <laughs> I think every week we get a little bit closer to the old Bud Light commercials, right? Where it's
1: watching <laughs> one, the market one can, recap? What <laughs> can only hope?
0: Drinking an import? Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, no, not much. So we missed last week because, well, honestly, because life was busy um, for, I think, both of us. We've had a lot of stuff going yeah. on, health concerns, and all the things that happen to people. Just normal normal things. Work, health, family, travel a little bit uh but we're back this week and the good news is not a whole lot well i mean not not nothing happened but i think we have actual like budget related news to discuss this week
1: so it would seem
0: so joining us in a little bit will be emma morris from the oklahoma policy institute to discuss all things budget Uh, but before we get to that I think we should highlight a couple of uh, notable news events over the last couple of weeks. Scott, um, did you happen to see when Superintendent Walters came to present
1: to the the house? I, th- <clears throat> I, th- I think I know who you're talking about, but I can't be sure because I don't have the background music to let me be certain.
0: Oh, that's right. We we are recording virtually today, so I don't have my little oh, sound sound pad with us. No. Sorry, there's okay. no. Well, w, do you want to uh, do Dallas like the?
1: Do you want to do you want to <laughs> give some like bum chicka bow wow like going there on in go. the background while I talk? No. Uh, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so um, yeah. So uh, was that God? Like so much has happened. That was not this past Monday. It was the Monday before, right? Monday, uh, Monday yes. of last week. Yeah. Yes. So, so like Monday of of last week, uh early, State early May. State State Superintendent uh, State Superintendent uh, Walters um, came to came to um, I don't know because he's not under oath so I don't know if you would call it testimony right but he he came and, and spoke and answered some questions um, from both uh, Republicans and Democrats um, and
0: uh, at the go ahead well I kinda, I'm going to interrupt you to say yes, yes. this I think was the third time right he had been asked he'd come once and came very unprepared early in session and the house basically told him to go away and come back when you're prepared. And then they didn't hear from him. They invited him to come. He said no. And then the house, which
1: which I believe had never happened before. Right. 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 Like the house, like
0: like, kind of slightly politely, but firmly mm -hmm. said, you gotta come. And if you don't you should remember that we have subpoena power which would essentially mean like i guess paperwork first but like in theory i think they could call the state troopers to go like get him right and make him
1: come and, and also we control your budget right that's I mean, the whole <laughs> point is for him to come
0: and present to them of like this is my vision for this agency which is the largest one in the state right and to <clears throat> ask like here's what we want to do here's how much money it's going to cost why would you start that conversation off by saying no? <laughs> I mean, in,
1: it, it was so that he showed up and it was just, I mean, it was just a complete, it, it was a complete farce, right? Like, and and the thing is, I, I'm not, like, that's not me saying that. That's like the legislators who were there on both sides of the aisle. Like... It is just it becomes very clear with with every every week that passes that um, the state superintendent did not run for this job intending to like govern and and work for better outcomes than education. He came to continue a campaign. Um, you know whether that's you know whether he wants to be a governor or a senator or, or what. I don't know what he wants to do, but his rhetoric in office hasn't changed at all, um, and it's really. I, I think that I think that people policymakers on both on both sides are really are really starting to get pretty fed up with it to be honest um you know so he 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 uh, you know a couple highlights from his remarks he said that uh, <laughs> teachers unions teachers unions are terrorist organizations so uh the NEA and then there's what what's the other one the uh, the Oklahoma Education Association oEA and then what's the other union um, um, um American- there's, there's two two big unions in Oklahoma that represent mm-hmm. like most teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, so he just he just called the union that represents most Oklahoma teachers terrorist organizations. He said that uh, Superintendent, uh, Superintendent Hoffmeister Superintendent Hofmeister, um, left the agency a quote dumpster fire that they walked into a dumpster fire, which by all accounts, including from her detractors, is like not true. Um, yeah, she, she ran mean, a pretty tight
0: ship over there, right. and so that was everyone was like,
1: what? That's not accurate right you know um legislators from both sides called him out um during during the hearing um he kind of got into a almost a little bit of a shouting match with some of the dems um who were calling him out on his calling him out on his his rhetoric um it really it started to kind of spiral out of control and they just cut it off um is what seemed to have happened um yeah interestingly um, wasn't say you're right chairman uh, ryan martinez like adjourned the
0: meeting um because it was starting to get out of hand
1: yeah um but uh in- interestingly um since that meeting one of the subjects that has come up is whether or not uh or not whether or not but where the where the state department of ed is in the process of applying for grants from the federal government that um like give a significant that, are, are, are pretty significant in terms of their financial contribution to, um, education in Oklahoma. Um, and he, he, and the, in the meeting, he gave a lot of non-answers of, oh, you know, they're in process or I'll look into it or, or just kind of, you know, kind of, uh, I don't want to say like politician speak, but I, I guess that's what it would be. Like, just, you know, I'll, I'll check into it and get back to you. I believe they asked him to get back to them within seven days. I'm not sure that that actually happened or not. Um, But this week, I think this was either yesterday or the day before, um, there is a longtime grant writer who has been with the Department of Education for um, a number of years um, and had actually been the director of grant development since 2017. Um, she, uh, She retired um uh, after ryan Walters took uh took over the helm of the department she came out this week and said that basically um he was lying through his teeth (laughs) throughout the entirety of this um hearing she said that there are uh this this is a quote she says her name is terry grissom she says i watched the hearing last week he lied i'm not going to speak to something i don't know about i'm only going to speak to many state i'm only going to speak about statements that i know are 100 untrue and he spoke many untruths about the status of grants in the agency um she says, uh, you know, he he is claiming that we've applied for millions and millions of grants since I took office. And she says, uh, we have not applied for one single grant. She said, that is a blatant lie. Um, when the legislator says, we want a list, he gave them a list of everything that I did. I, meaning Terry Grissom, he gave them a list of everything that I did under Joy Hoffmeister's leadership. Nothing was new. The new leadership is not moving on anything. They won't approve anything. They won't sign contracts. No work is actually happening. Which, honestly, that jives with what the what the public like like what what seems like is happening um and i don't know if that is just because they don't understand how Im- they don't know what they're doing and they don't understand how important this is or if it's because they don't understand how to uh, uh write the grant applications and review these contracts if they don't i don't, I don't know if it's they don't know how they don't want to or both yeah i don't
0: i'm not sure either honestly but it, it aside from it being like just annoying and like gross and like overtly political, this will have real world consequences for Oklahoma's budget that we'll talk about, right? Like we don't receive these tens of millions of dollars in federal funding for education. It suddenly flips our budget surplus on its head and that ultimately hurts everybody, right? It hurts our children in schools, our teachers, all of us that are parents of, of school children. Um, and then just, it looks bad on the state. So I think, again, we have a political decision that is having very real world consequences and the people who hurt most are voters, right? Or just Oklahomans by and large. Uh, and it's so, I don't know, it's so frustrating and it's just sad to see. Well, um, We'll undoubtedly have updates on that as we go along. Um, Scott, another thing that's probably worth flagging in case listeners somehow have missed this already, but following the uh, following the legislature passing and the governor signing um, Senate Bill six thirteen, which would immediately ban, or it would, it did immediately put a ban on uh, gender transition surgeries. Um, and a phase out of other drug and hormone treatments for um, people under the age of 18. And once that passed, the ACLU was ready because I think we all saw the harm that will come from this. And so they immediately filed um, a lawsuit challenging the bill now, on behalf of five transgender youths and their families and, um, and, you know, their kind of quotes, uh, I, this is actually from Megan Lambert, who's the legal director at ACLU of Oklahoma, um, who's a party to the suit. They said, we want to make sure that we were ready as soon as possible because access to care has been changed immediately, right? And this is because the legislature put an emergency clause on this bill. Uh, so the lawsuit essentially claims that the state's health care ban discriminates on the basis of sex and transgender status. Um, and it lists dozens of state health boards and officials as defendants, including attorney General Gittner Drummond. That part is pretty common for this. Um, of course, the you know, the state's like, well, you know, uh, well, Phil bacharach over in the AG's office, who's the spokesperson. He was like, you know, we know it's been filed. Um, and we'll see what happens. I think the the interesting piece about this is that um, let's say that the bill had banned all um, elective surgeries for people ages 18 and under well that would be something that's like pretty broad right it' has not targeted any one group but this law because it targets one group specifically um, I think there is an equal protection violation there right and again uh, I'm not an attorney I just play one on the podcast um, but I think that again we'll see what happens with the courts but I it seems to me like this might have some reasonable merit right a reasonable chance of going through you know Scott, what are your non- attorney thoughts?
1: Uh, I mean it seems like certainly there's you know seems like there's a chance. I do think it's uh, I think it's interesting um, I'm just sitting here looking at the uh, the vote so I passed the house 73, 73, 18, 10 that were excused. Uh, how many Dems in the house right now 18. Yeah. So uh, so all the all the R's voted for it, except for the ones that uh, made sure they weren't on the floor um, when it came <laughs> up. Uh, so uh, so you know what that means, that uh, even the moderate, even the moderate Republicans voted for it. Um, yeah, I you know, I think. I'm using um, that to make a point that there are no moderate Republicans. But well, I think <laughs> I knew I knew what you were doing, where you're going with that. I think um,
0: well, I I do think this also like bespeaks the politics inside the Capitol right now. Where honestly, stuff like this, I've talked to a number of Republican lawmakers who don't like these bills, who don't want to vote for them.
1: But they, but they, they,
0: I'm, but they do. Because they do.
1: I'm trying not to curse so much, but they do because they don't, because they don't have the uh, fortitude of some part of their body that says, I don't like this. And the reason I don't like it is because I think it's wrong, but it's not so wrong that I'll stand up and say it's wrong, even though that might cost me something. I'm not going to stand up and say, hey, I actually think you're right. I think you're right that this is going to hurt people. I'm okay with hurting people because it hurting people, my justification is I get to keep my seat because I voted for it or I didn't vote against it or I didn't speak out against it. I get to keep my seat and the good that I am going to do the good that I can bring to the state of Oklahoma, because I'm amazing, the good that I am going to do for the state of Oklahoma by staying in my seat outweighs the harm that's going to be done to the people affected by this bill. Mm -hmm. And like, just stop it.
0: (laughs) It's, uh, you know, I I haven't served in the legislature. This is, armchair quarterbacking and its finest, but I'm with you. Like, because I suspect, I don't know, but I suspect that there are more folks up there who don't like this kind of culture war bullshit, but they go along with it because they, they get isolated, right? They feel like they're the only ones, but if enough of them stood up, what's going to happen? They're all going to lose their committee ships. Well, okay, no, they're, like, all gonna, they're all going to they're all going
1: to lose in a primary. But you know what? If you don't want to lose in a primary, hey, welcome to let's fix this. Join our team and let's reform <laughs> the primary system in Oklahoma. And then and then you can take some tough votes without being worried that you're going to lose to some maniac in your primary. That's but they fair. don't do that. They don't do that either. So right. like right.
0: Because, that's right because they they could fix the system that incentivizes people to be more extreme, right? Like we could fix that. But that's not on the table
1: right now is what they'll say, Scott. They're like, well, I can't vote for that right
0: now. No, but you could author
1: it. You You can can come out. You know what? You know what a great way for it to get on the table would be? Would be a bunch of legislators on both sides of the aisle from both houses to say this is something we should do. That would put it on the table. Well, and
0: even last year, right? Senator Lonnie Paxton filed the bill for open primaries, I think largely as a gesture of like, listen, like I'm at least willing to do this. Now, the bill had some flaws and it didn't go anywhere, but I think- seeing one person's courage like raise enough eyebrows for people to be like oh maybe there is another way and that's probably part of it too right a lot of folks don't know that there's (coughs) there are other ways to structure elections heck i shared a story i think i sent it to you too man like about uh louisiana that i had forgotten right that louisiana doesn't have primaries at all they have an an open general election where everyone's on the ballot If somebody wins 50%, they win. And if it doesn't, then it goes to a top two runoff. Um, But that's it. And so in many races, they save money by not having primaries, and everybody gets to vote. Consequently, Louisiana has one of the lowest, like the least partisan legislatures. It's one of the least partisan states in the country, which is wild. So,
1: so. I just, you know, to your original question, do I think the lawsuit has, like, the lawsuit has, like, legs? I mean, I don't know. Like, I hope so. I don't know enough about, like, I don't know enough about, like, equal protection and, like, what constitutes, like, protected classes. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I just don't know I'm sure enough. we'll get
0: some text messages in a few days from our listeners yeah. to correct me yeah. on that.
1: Um, yeah. The, the ones who are going to text us, you know who you are. Let us know if this is going to go anywhere. That's
0: right. Probably Sunday morning we'll get texts. I, um... Which I appreciate, to be clear.
1: Yes, Um, yes, 100%, very much. The thing
0: that's interesting, and I think good about this, right, is that should this lawsuit get appealed and go to higher levels, it has the potential, both good and bad, depending on how it goes, to become precedent that can affect these kinds of laws in other states, right? Uh, Because Oklahoma is not the only state where these kinds of bans are being passed. And I think, um, you know, um, this week, there's been a number of legal rulings in the highest court in the land that have had some pretty consequential ramifications down the pipe for the rest of us. We'll save those for another another episode. We've been talking about we need to have our one of our legal correspondents rejoin the podcast to talk through some of this stuff so so that we don't have to make these mistakes, right? So we don't have to pretend to be lawyers. That's right. Um, yeah, you know, business, business, business. Um, one other news story before we get into the budget conversation, um, listeners, you're, you'll, we, you will remember a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, the governor vetoed like 20 bills, right? I guess this is right before our last episode, um, where he vetoed all these bills and said, I'm going to veto all of the bills from the Senate, um, until you pass what I want you to pass. Now, of course, like two days later, he signed like 17 Senate bills so that his rhetoric was not uh, rock solid, as they say. But I think one of the bills that he vetoed through that, I think it was one of those 20, was um, a bill that would guarantee Native American students the right to wear their tribal regalia at uh, graduation. This was Senate Bill 429, um, and it would have prevented any school district from banning tribal regalia at high school graduations. Uh, and just to a uh, quick reminder, Native American tribes are sovereign nations, right? This would, This is a, they're not just like a special group of people. They are special. <laughs> they are a group of people. But I think framing it as these are sovereign nations in the way that the United States is a sovereign nation, Mexico, Canada, England, India, Madagascar; these are all sovereign nations, um, and and we don't treat the Native American tribes that way. Um, so, a comment and response from Choctaw Nation Chief Gary Batten. He called the the bill just a common sense measure, and the, and pointed out the the fact that only one member of the entire legislature voted against it, uh, and so to have a bill come through with one hundred and forty eight or however many, like, everyone but one yes vote and the governor still vetoed it is clearly a another political gesture and on coming from the governor who has not exactly had the warmest relationship with tribes over the last five years, right? So I think this bill, uh, along with several others, are still floating out there that have been vetoed but could be overridden, right? But clock is ticking, right? This bill the the defunding of oeta um the bill to provide naloxone to i think county jails or hospitals or both um there was like there's a bunch of like very common sense good for everybody pieces of legislation that the governor vetoed willy-nilly and if the legislature doesn't come back to override them they could and that i mean i think everyone has had conversations where of People have said, well, if this comes back up, yeah, I'll, I'll vote to override, but someone's got to put it up for a vote. And all of those issues that matter to people are being held hostage during this budget negotiation. Am I reading
1: that right, Scott? Yeah, no, that's, I think, exactly what's happening. And I think that, I mean, I think most of these, maybe, maybe all, I don't know, but I think a big chunk of these bills are going to become law, either because the governor is going to go back and sign them or they're going to get overridden, right? Can't the governor, like, even once he's vetoed them, can he go back and sign them, or do they have to be overridden? I think they have to be overridden,
0: and it has to start in the chamber of origin. So, right. like, goes all the way back.
1: I think that several of these will ultimately become law, but I think that I think that overriding veto, overriding vetoes right now, I, I think they are worried may seem antagonistic, um, and in the middle of trying to negotiate the budget and the uh, education funding. I think there. I think the thought process is we have time, right? Like we have, we have, you know, we've got three weeks in which we can we can override the vetoes if we want. So, um, there. I don't think they're in any rush to do it. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll find out. Anything's possible.
0: Signy <clears throat> die is in two weeks from today, though. They have to signy die. They have to adjourn signy die by the last by five p.m. on the last Friday in May, that is in two weeks from today. As we record two weeks in one hour, actually. So, um, since everything is orbiting around the budget, oh, wait, quick, a quick aside, nothing to do with politics. Did you see that it's, this is about space? You're going to gonna talk about Saturn. Saturn got 62 more
1: moons today. Like, we, we, that's a shitload of moons. To, I mean, to, to be, to be fair, I think Saturn has always had them
0: yeah okay that's fair
1: <laughs> Saturn has always had them we yes. are just now acknowledging them right right yeah
0: we just we are now acknowledging their moons
1: right. well congratulations're not like we're not, to we're not, we're not, we're not like, we're not, like uh, we're, not, we're not gonna pull a Christopher Columbus here on the pod and say right. oh we, well, we just uh, Saturn has 62 moons now because I said so. I claim it no, for the bitches, crown. No, I've, I've, already, I've, already, I've already had 62 moons. I've already had them. They've that's always right. been mine. That's also, right. speaking of claiming it for the crown, did you see some dude on Twitter uh, tweeted at Elon and was like, the Republic of Mars should have immigration laws that prohibit like communist Marxist liberals, basically, so that no one can live on Mars except MAGA Republicans? <clears throat> First of all, if that's where all the MAGA folks want to go live, like have at it. But secondly, um. Do people really think that if Elon gets to Mars, I don't know, like the U.S. government, China are just going to be like, "Oh, oh, buddy, <laughs> yeah. you paid all this money to get there, so you can just you can just have it." You think that's how this is going to go down? That's not it's, how this is going to go down. You don't
0: get to land and say
1: dibs, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> and like, keep come, right? Like the whole planet.
0: Right. Come on. Also, like, I mean, if you did that, the rest of the world would be like have fun right and just like (laughs) not give you food and you last a few months like it's not a long-term strategy right but who knows
1: anyway before so we're getting ready to bring emma in from Oklahoma policy institute and talk about the budget but a couple of things um that i was going to throw out there just as context so you mentioned that signing die is two weeks from today so that makes it sound like they have uh the next two weeks to pass a budget however right um they don't really have that long because they want to make sure that they have time if the governor vetoes the budget or if they if you know the governor line items things the budget that they have time to come back and override those um they also have to allow the governor a certain number of legislative days um so really even though sine die is two weeks away um they have until tuesday to pass a budget if they're going to adjourn on time so um this is this the 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 conversation takes on some earnest urgency because they don't have 14 days. They have
0: three. Right. Which is about the minimum that they need. And I guess we kind of all expect that we'll see a budget on Monday. Right. And then they'll it'll come out and they'll vote on it in like an hour and a half.
1: Yeah, they'll yeah, be a, they'll agenda. be like, oh, new JCAP meeting at four o'clock, no agenda, yeah. and then at three fifty, they'll be like agenda, budget, and at three fifty eight, they'll be like text available. Then the meeting will start, and then they'll pass it, and there will be lots of gnashing of teeth because the budget, you know, is a thousand pages long, and no one has right. read it. But. Right,
0: and everyone goes to the bar afterwards. Well, on that note, let's welcome to the show Emma Morris. Emma is a uh, fiscal healthcare and fiscal policy analyst at the Oklahoma Policy Institute. Um, I also, I didn't realize you have dual bachelor's degrees in women and gender studies and public and nonprofit administration. Um, Kudos to you for getting two degrees. And I know you were or are working on your master of public administration. Is that still happening or have you achieved that?
2: Yeah, I'm still in the process. I've done about 2 years and I have uh, hopefully one left. So.
0: All right. I graduate well, next May. Congrats on all that. Sorry to like just brag <laughs> on you right away, but um welcome to the podcast again. I know you've been on before. Always great to see a friendly and familiar face. Yeah,
2: thanks um, for having me.
0: Maybe let's start with like an overview of like how is the state budget shaping up this year? Like, how does how do the let's go to the numbers first? We'll come back to the politics in a minute. But um, how do the numbers look as we, uh, which we'll be looking for in this mysterious budget next week?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So um, the lawmakers, I believe, have about ten point eight billion dollars to spend to figure out what to do with this year. Um, on top of that, they have about one and a half, a little over one and a half billion dollars in one time funding. So that's either like federal funding or just kind of cash that's laying around. So that's the money that that we're not going to see every year. We just happen to have this excess cash this year. Um, But that ten point eight billion is the recurring funding that we're that we can generally expect to see every year. So that's kind of the the core budget. Um, As y'all were talking about earlier, it's often the case that the budget doesn't move the same way that other policy bills move throughout legislative session. Um, So you might see an appropriations bill here and there for an agency throughout session, um, but it's really the case that we end up seeing the budget package Um, in the last few weeks of session. So I think y'all are right that we'll probably see a package Monday or Tuesday. I think it has to pass by um, Thursday in order, like pass full chambers in order to then be over if if the legislature needs to override anything. um, That gives them enough time. So I think we'll probably see something early next week. Um, As I think Scott was saying, it's really common that once it the, the, this budget package is unveiled. Um, generally, it, it passes uh, often along party lines and very quickly. Um, so there's not always a ton of time for, you know, other legislators or for community members or just general Oklahomans to really digest what's in there, provide feedback, uh, which is unfortunate. Um, but yeah, we're hoping to see, you know, something in the next few days, because um, if it doesn't If we don't see it early next week then you know who knows what will happen uh either they'll be putting themselves at risk of not being able to override something that the governor vetoes or there's you know some talk of a special session which um would be a whole a whole other ordeal so hopefully we'll see something early next week
1: dear god no no special session on uh
0: on this week in oklahoma politics um this, this this week's episode of This Week on Politics on KOSU, uh, Ryan Kiesel said that one of his colleagues at the Capitol said, it's a special session watch, not a special session warning, um, which is a uniquely Oklahoma weather-themed joke, but that's probably exactly right. And uh, you guys have both referenced this. And so just to kind of clarify, when a bill passes the legislature and goes to the governor during session, he has, he or she, has to act on it within five days, right? He can either sign it or veto it or do nothing, I guess, and it'll automatically, and then it's a pocket veto, right? And then, but if it's after they adjourn sine die, he has, I think, 15 days to act on it or not act on it. And so that's why they have to pass the budget before the very last day if they reasonably suspect that he might veto any part of it, because he can line item veto any piece of it. So if he does that, they need time to come back and again pass the veto overrides through both chambers. So they need a couple of several days to get that done because you can't do it on the same day in both chambers. Um, Emma, to I know that you don't have a crystal ball to tell us exactly what you think is going to happen, but based on well, I don't know, rumors and, uh, and just your best guess about what things might be in there. Um, things like uh, the grocery sales tax or some kind of um, reduction, removal of it, some kind of tax credit, things like the earned income tax credit that we talk about uh, year to year or the refundability of it, um, those kinds of things. And then any just best guesses you might have about how things are looking. Which we be uh, maybe paying attention to specifically?
2: Yeah, great question. Um, so, you know, I don't know what goes on in the heads of any of our lawmakers. Um, <laughs> any speculation y'all want to make, I- I'm always, op- my ears are, are open. Um, I will say that there's been a lot of headlines about lots of different issues. I'm sure the one most everyone has heard about is school voucher tax credits. Um, that seems to have taken a lot of the air out of the room Um, it it seems like that is where everyone's focus has been on for the last few weeks um i you know non-doc reported that it seems they've generally potentially reached a precarious budget or a precarious education deal um, that includes increased funding for public education um, increased funding for teacher pay and then potentially tied to school voucher tax credits, um, which would be very expensive for the state. Um, the, these vouchers we know are, in other states, generally used by folks who are already attending private school, folks who can afford to pay for private school on their own. Um, so that's pretty concerning that we're seeing, um, you know, potential appetite for that in Oklahoma. Um, just because we do know that that's not necessarily the best use of our collective tax dollars. Um, funding private school tuition is not something that, um, that Oklahoma has really done. Um, and because we have, you know, chronically underfunded public education, siphoning money off to, to private school tuition, it would likely leave our public schools, you know, with even less uh, funding in the long-term than they have right now. So that's kind of one bucket um, the you know another big conversation is um, what might happen with the income tax. So right now in Oklahoma, um, our, in, our our personal income tax is slightly graduated, which means that your income tax rate slightly increases as your income increases. Um, there's been some talk of further reducing our personal income tax rate. Uh, right now, the top rate is four point seven five percent. So there's been some conversation um, and, and, you know, a bill that I believe passed just the house um, that would lower that further to either 4.5 or 4.25. There's also been some discussion about just fully restructuring um, the the personal income tax from a graduated tax to a flat tax, which means that everyone would pay the exact same percentage in income tax, uh, regardless of if you make $10,000 a year or $10 million a year. Um, which would make our tax system even more unfair than it already is. Um, and then, and, and you know, I don't know at this point that we know what might happen with the income tax. It's been, as I said, I think the education conversation has really taken a lot of, of the attention and has been the, the focus of a lot of negotiations. Um, and then the last, well, I think one of the last big pieces is the, the grocery tax discussion um there's a couple options here um I, again this has been in the news quite a lot over the last few years but for a couple years there's been a, a pretty big push to try and eliminate the the sales tax on groceries at the state level altogether um, which would cost about 370 million dollars for the state um, okay policy has has done a lot of research into a tax credit called the sales tax relief credit um, that that helps to offset the cost of the state sales tax on groceries for low and middle income Oklahomans. Um, so we've talked with a lot of legislators about, hey, instead of you know eliminating the tax entirely, let's let's expand this credit that hasn't been updated in 33 years uh, to better reflect today's economic reality to the cost of food today let's expand let, let's modernize or expand that credit um for a lower cost to the state than just fully eliminating the tax so again because the education discussion has ha, has really been the attention i don't know that many people know what might end up happening with grocery tax um so we're kind of just waiting to see um I think those are the three kind of big conversations, but um, of course there are other things that that have either been uh, talked about throughout session or that some people expect to see in the budget. You know, there was one bill that passed that uh, created the the mechanism for funding of state question seven eighty one. So one question a lot of people have still about the budget is. What kind of uh, investment are we going to see in mental health treatment to fulfill the requirements of state question seven eighty one? The legislature is in the process of passing a, a new major tax incentive that they that they are calling the Perform Act, um, which would be one hundred and eighty million dollars for one company. Um, so I say all that just to say there are lots of different. It's like each of these is a is a puzzle piece, and like figuring out exactly what's going to end up going in the budget. It's pretty impossible if you're not one of the like four to six people um, that's in the budget negotiations. But there are a lot of question marks and a lot of um, a, lo- a-, a lot of aspects we just really won't know until um, until we see the budget drop. Hopefully, early next week. Um, I will say that I I don't think it's possible that we can afford all of those things I just talked about as a state, even though our re- our revenues are relatively and and probably artificially and temporarily high this year. Um, We just, I mean, we, we don't have enough money to do all of these things. So it will end up kind of just being what filters through the tooth, what filters through to the top. Um, And hopefully we'll know that pretty soon.
0: Yeah. I don't remember a year in recent memory that was so, like singularly focused, right? On like, like everything this year has been about education from, you know, uh, organizational day in January all the way till the middle of May. That has been the driving thing. And that's not totally uncommon. I mean, 2018 with the teacher walkout, obviously conversations were um, oriented around education. But I feel like we had other things that were being talked about a bit more. And I, this year just feels like, they're doing the, uh, I mean, the right thing of like putting in the big the big blocks first, and then filling in with the smaller things around that. But because they haven't put those big blocks in yet, it leaves a lot of question marks. I mean, everything from the people at OATA who work there. I can't imagine the stress that they're in right now. They go home to have dinner with their spouse and children, and they're like, "I don't know what's going to happen." Like my job is up in the air, and it's. It could be saved if these people will do it, but they may not want to do it because of something political, right? Like that's just a very frustrating position to be in, and I think, I guess, teachers are in a similar position
1: in many ways. Um, it, it yeah. you know, it's it's really frustrating. Um, you know, it's really frustrating, and and the thing is, it's it's avoidable right they always do the budget last because they always know it's the hardest thing and so they're like well let's get all the let's get the budget done before we do anything else like get all the easy stuff done but then what happens is you end up with this budget that gets thrown together and the last you know the last three or four days before deadline no one has a chance to read it man i i you know i'm sure they would never do this to themselves but i would I would love a requirement and I think that I think the Texas legislature maybe has this I know there are some states that do that when they convene they cannot pass anything until they pass a budget the budget has to be passed first before they can pass any other legislation and then once the budget has been passed they can work on whatever else they feel is important uh, but that would I think you know I, I, I think it would allow it would allow more transparency into the process. It would certainly take the time pressure off or remove a lot of the time pressure. And again, like we were talking about, I think we were talking about this before we started recording. I am not someone that thinks that the way you should try to negotiate the budget is in public hearings in front of, you know, the 4 million people who live in the state of Oklahoma. Like these, it is, it is okay that these meetings take place in private with the principles. Now, I think it should be required, even though the Dems are a minority and the Dems can't can't keep the budget from being passed, they don't need the Dems to help pass the budget, I think it should be a requirement that the Democratic leadership is included in the budget negotiations, or I should say it should be a requirement that the minority leadership is included in the budget negotiations. Even if everything they say gets ignored, they should be allowed to be in the room. But all the principals should be in the room and you should have to do it before you do it, anything else. And then that comes out. And then you can say, here's the budget. Here's what we put together. You can have, you know, whether it's two days or two weeks of public comment, um, you, you, you you can at least offer maybe not transparency into the negotiations, but at least give the rest of the legislators as well as agency heads and then any interested party of the public time to comment. That doesn't mean you have to do anything. You don't have to change anything right? Like I'm not sitting here saying that like, okay, well, everybody throws a fit. So we should rewrite the whole budget, but that would, that would, I think maybe bring to light. Cause it's, it's not uncommon that they have to come back the next session and pass something real quick that like fixes a problem with the budget from the previous year. That wastes time. It wastes money, right? Catch those mistakes at the beginning by letting people see the budget more than three minutes before you pass it.
2: Yeah. And I think, I think that that's a great point. Um, you know, one of the critical pieces I think that's missing from our budget process is the ability for everyday Oklahomans to weigh in. Um, Not every state has a public comment process, but several states do, whether it's, you know, an online portal where you can submit feedback or a public hearing where you can, you know, comment on a specific bill or on, on the budget. In Oklahoma, really the only opportunity that, you know, Everyday folks have to get engaged at the Capitol is to talk to their legislator, right? Um, and especially when it comes to the budget, if if there's three days between when we when we see it and when it officially passes and and it goes to the governor, if there's only three or four days between those two things, folks can't even really understand what's in the budget, let alone figure out. You know, I agree, I disagree, and I'm going to tell my my legislator. So I think having a longer time between when it's unveiled and when it, it, you know, is put up for a vote is really important. And then also having a formal mechanism for um, folks to, to weigh in and say, you know, I would rather you spend X, Y, Z more on teacher pay rather than, you know, this incentive or this tax break, um, I think would be a really important addition.
1: Well, and the thing is, if you live in a district, if you live in a district where you're represented by Dems, you're in some sense being disenfranchised, right? Because like, you know, as I said, the Democrats, the, the Democrats don't have, they don't have enough members in either chamber to either stop the budget from passing and they don't have enough members that the, that the R's need them to pass a budget. So they don't have to solicit the Dem input, but they should at least be in the room. Right, because what happens is they hash out what are their budget compromises, and then what do they do? They don't release it to everybody. They take it to the Republican caucus. They go to their caucus because they're the only ones that that need to see it. So the minority doesn't find out what the budget even looks like until it's released. Right? At least the members of the majority caucus are privy to some sense of what's happening in that room. So if you if you live in a district like mine, where you have where you have a a, a dim senator and a Dem uh, state state rep, like you're, you have no representation in the budget process. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I,
0: I think, um, when we see other states that do this well, and, and we're not one of them, and I can also think of a couple of times in recent years where they pushed through the budget so quickly that, you know, like, let's say it came out on a, or passed on a Wednesday or Thursday to the governor and then by sunday right and the sunday paper comes out and honestly journalists have had time to really dig into it and start realizing how money had been moved around where they had made cuts Uh, and sometimes they have unintentionally like defunded certain things that they had to come back in special session to like fix right like they they did it so quickly they made a mistake and you make mistakes that are costing us millions of dollars or you know theoretically ending programs
1: that's no way to govern like that's no way to do your budget Right. And you don't have to do it that way. They just do it that way, one because it's how they've always done it, and two because it's easy. Because when they come to because when they first come into session in January, you have to get the important things out of the way, like constitutional carry and outlawing all abortions and outlawing gender care for a transgendered youth and making sure that, you know, the Ten Commandments is required to be put up in, you know, everyone's house on the most prominent wall. Like <laughs> <laughs> You've got you know, those are the things that are the highest priority to do at the beginning of session, not figure out how the state's gonna spend ten point eight billion dollars.
0: Yes. Um, Scott, how do you feel about states that have budget only sessions? That's what Texas does it, right?
1: Uh is it does Texas have budget only sessions or do they just have to do it first?
2: I think they have biennial budget, so it's like a two year budget. Oh, that's right,
1: because
0: they only meet right. every other year. That's right.
1: So like, yeah, I mean I don't like I I, I think I mean, I don't care how you do it, but there are lots of different ways, right? Like whether you have a but you know whether you have a budget only session, that would be that would be reasonable, right? Like you have a you know, maybe you have regular session, then you have a special session that's just for the budget. Maybe you have maybe you divide session into two parts, right? The first the first two months of session of the budget, the second two months for everything else. Now they would say there's not enough time to get everything done in that period. That's that's fine, um, but I honestly I don't know that the budget. <laughs> In most years, the budget doesn't necessarily need to be that complicated or take two months or six weeks or, or 12 weeks or whatever. One of the things that makes the budget so complicated in Oklahoma is that we are obsessed with trying to cut taxes at every opportunity, whether we need to or not. If you don't approach the budget every year, figuring, okay, we have this much money. How can we make sure that next year we have less, right? If you don't, If you don't approach the budget always looking to try and cut taxes. Again, not for an economic reason, right? not because you need tax cuts to stimulate the economy, not because you've identified a program that's wasteful that needs to be eliminated. But if you approach the budget and your first question is from an ideological standpoint, how can we cut taxes? Because that is the most important thing to me, regardless of the economics of it, that makes the budget a lot more complicated and a lot more difficult right? I'm not even saying you have to approach the budget with, how can we raise more revenue? Just approach the budget with, hey, maybe let's just not screw with it, right? (laughs) Maybe let's just leave everything as it is. Now, if there are taxes that are harmful and regressive, as I think you can make a case that the grocery tax is, then- yeah, maybe look at how to get rid of that and offset it by doing away with other other tax credits that can that can pay for that. Like that's one thing. Like getting rid of regressive taxes, that's that's I think a that should be a policy goal most of the time. Right. But if you just if you just if you approach the budget without just saying, "Okay, budget time. Where can we cut taxes?" Like that would that would make this shit a lot easier. I, um, my soapbox is
0: i share yours. We stand on that one together and I will add a second one th- that I, I trust. You'll step over to with me. And that is why do we only talk about the budget as like a one year thing? Every year we're like, here's what's happening this year. Here's what happened this year. And I swear to God, if we don't know where we're headed in 10 years, we will never get there. Right. And I think we see that Scott, when it's like, Ooh, well, we can, how can we t- cut taxes this year? What, what do we need to do to get done this year? Well, your decisions today are going to affect the state three years, five years, 10 years from now. And this is why, you know, at the federal level, they've got the Congressional Budget Office that scores all of these bills on like a 10 year fiscal impact so that we know what's happening. Because a lot of these plans, uh, including some of these uh, voucher schemes that they've been floating lately, have uh, some kind of impact next year. But that impact changes over time, right? And and if there's one thing we know about the budgets in Oklahoma, it's that it's not going to be good times all the time, right? Like we were we're going to hit economic downturns, oil and gas will bust, um, just as you know frequently as it booms. And so when things are okay, we have to one prepare for the future, which I think we've done a decent job of doing the last few years. I will give some credit to Governor Stitt for his plans around that. I think we've got too many safety net, um, not safety nets, but too many like budget uh, slush funds, right? The stabilization funds that are floating around. We can just use one, but nevertheless, we've got a little extra money in the bank for that cushion for when things do get bad, but it'll happen when we don't expect it. Uh, and and furthermore, like we should think about What are the long-term consequences of these budget decisions so that we're making the right ones today for the future? And I think part of the problem with this is, well, term limits, right? That so often none of the folks who make a bad decision today will be in office to face those consequences so they can do it. Like a lot of them are just worried about getting reelected in two years and kicking the can down the, down the road that way. So I, I don't know how to, I don't know how to fix that yet. Aside from like just requiring every fiscal impact to have a 10 year score. I'm sure someone will bemoan that, but Emma, you probably (laughs) have ideas.
2: Well, I I was thinking I was going to make a similar point, you know, whenever there's this entity called the board of equalization, um, that basically tells the legislature how much they have available to spend each year. Um, but generally at least for the past few years that I've been watching and engaging, um, they only project the upcoming fiscal year, the revenue for uh, the upcoming fiscal year. Um, So for example, when they met in February, they said, um, okay, currently we're in fiscal year 23. So they said, here are the final totals for fiscal year 22. Here's the estimates for fiscal year 23, the current fiscal year. And here's our projections or what we think we're going to have for fiscal year 24. So now the legislature takes that projection for 24 and figures out what they're gonna spend that money on in fiscal year 24. I think one of the big problems that we have is we don't look past that. Um, If we do, it's happening internally at an agency, it's not being published as part of these Data that lawmakers then have available to them, um, so yeah, they don't often have a good understanding of what what the economy might look like in you know twenty thirty or what our state revenue might look like. Similarly, whenever there's a, a bill that would cost the state money, um, as you were saying, Andy, we often just have you know one to three years of of impacts. Uh, So we usually only see what this will cost for the next few years rather than, you know, what will this cost us in 10 years, which is really important with things like tax incentives or tax breaks for specific industries or people um, and with new spending like the voucher tax credit, right? The other thing um, is that in Oklahoma, we often don't account for inflation um, in our state budget, um, which has really, I think, Probably unintended, but negative um, consequences because, you know, if a state agency had, let's say, $2 million to spend in fiscal year 23, that doesn't go as far in fiscal year 24 because we're seeing, you know, relatively high levels of inflation. Um, So in Oklahoma, we, you know, we often start from the assumption that what we spent last year is still good enough. Um, but in reality, our state agencies have been losing buying power over the last, you know, couple decades as we haven't been, uh, keeping up with inflation. Um, so that's another, I think really important consideration. And we're thinking about the budget.
0: Right. I get that. uh, annoyed at that point when they're like, this is the biggest budget in state history. I'm like, yeah, that's how the time value of money works. Like money buys less over time. It's going to get bigger. That's just the way that's, that's happened since the beginning of money. That's the way it goes. Um, that is not necessarily a bad
1: thing, right? Like that, you could just be. Well, it's the your- same with they say we. There's plenty of education funding, right? We give education the biggest part of our biggest part of our budget. Yeah, but the budget's too small, right? Right. <laughs> like I would, I would rather, right? If if education, if education is 50 percent of a 10.8 billion dollar budget, but it is, uh let me do my math here. of a $20 billion budget. I would rather education be 30% of a $20 billion budget than 50% of a $10 billion budget. Right. 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 (laughs) right. Scott, if
0: we're eating ice cream and I have a bowl of ice cream and you have a spoon and you eat the whole spoon and I say, oh my God, he ate the whole thing, but it was just one (laughs) spoon of ice cream. Like that's and I' and I eat ha- I only ate half of mine, but I've got like a big al- a half gallon, like, you know blue bell homemade vanilla half gallon. Like clearly, I ate more than you, and that's but that's the kind of logic that I think I see. And
1: I'll let I'll- the record show I have never eaten one spoonful of ice cream. <laughs> um, I,
0: I will I will even concede even a five year estimate on on this kind of stuff would be a huge help if ten years is too hard. Obviously it's not, but like if I'll compromise and just say five years would be enormously helpful for all kinds of reasons because we need to know where as, as a state where we're headed. i I work with young student entrepreneurs all the time and like every business plan you have to have at least a five year projection of your costs and your revenue, right? like as an investor, you want to know where um, where the company is headed, what's gonna happen in a few years growth might be slow at the beginning and then pick up, or it might be fast at the beginning and slow down. Like we need to know what is happening in order to make decisions now to best prepare us for the future. Uh, Right. And I
2: think people, you know, people often say, well, it's going to change. Like we, we don't know what's going to happen in 10 years. Um, But anything's better than nothing. Right. Right. (laughs) Um, Even if we make an estimate that's 40% off, at least we kind of have a starting point. So. I think it's important. I do
0: feel like COVID didn't help this argument any where everyone's like, look, who knows? We could have a pandemic. Like, yeah, but we should at least have a plan. And like, arguably we should and somehow kind of account for the grossly unexpected situations like that to be like, okay, well, can we, you know, on a bell curve, can we reasonably expect that we will be able to weather, you know, an economic hit to the market? of a certain magnitude, maybe not everything, but there are ways to plan for this. All right, well, um, I guess we'll tune in next week and see what happens with the budget. Emma, thank you so much for being with us today.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Scott, thank you for being here as well. As always, thank you, sir. (laughs) This is why we don't like recording virtually as much. Once you go back to in-person, it's hard to quit. Listeners, thank you for being here as well. Um, we do this for you. We appreciate your engagement. If you appreciate us doing this podcast every week or almost every week, please like and uh, subscribe it give us a rating on your favorite podcast app. We'd love to, uh, and and more importantly, share it with a friend. We'd love to talk to your friends and their ears as well. As we move towards the end of session, a couple of quick reminders about what's happening over the summer. First, uh, mark your calendars, June 26th and 27th. That will be Civics Con. That is our annual civics convention. It's like Comic Con, but for our kind of nerd here. If you like both comics and government, great. You can come to this as well. Please feel free to dress up like your favorite uh, government hero, whatever you want to call it. But anyway, it'll be uh, a great couple of days at Rose State. You can go to civicscon.com for more details. I don't have a lot. Uh, on there right now, but we should have some big updates coming in the next few days. and uh, and then later this summer we will be starting to become uh, more civically engaged collectively, right And this is where I really need your help listeners. We need people to help us talk to voters. Um, we need people to just talk to voters. more importantly to listen to voters. We all know that candidates knock doors during elections to ask for votes. We want to knock doors all the time, not to ask voters to do anything, but just to talk to us, right? Tell us what matters to them, to hear their stories, to find out exactly what the people of Oklahoma feel in their hearts and their minds about the direction our state is going, because that helps inform us and a cohort of organizations that are working to design and hopefully pass good policy that is responsive to the actual needs of Oklahomans, not just these pie in the sky, crazy ideas, voucher schemes, and things that only uh, the donor class is pushing for, and outside interests. So um, if you're interested in in helping us knock doors, make phone calls, write letters, that kind of thing, please go to our website, letsfixthis.org, slash volunteer, and just sign up. And we'll make sure that you stay in the loop here uh, in the next few weeks. All right, on that note, I think we are out of time for today. Um, please enjoy the weekend, stay weather aware, and remember that decisions are made by those who show up. Have a good week.